the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to the Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing a trio of disappointing upper echelon starting pitchers and a pair of hitters trending in the opposite direction. And first, we're going to start off with the most interesting player alive today. And guess who's atop the most searched for leaderboards on Fangraphs? Yasiel Puig! Puig! <laughs> I think we should have a podcast where we just say Puig the entire 35, 40 minutes. What do you say? Puig. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to the number three most searched for guy, who's the number two guy is actually Chris Davis, who we've talked about enough as well. And number three is actually Giovanni Gallardo, who is one of the trio of disappointing pitchers, but he actually had a, a pretty good outing. Today, but of course, it comes with an asterisk because it was against the Astros, who a lot of pitchers have good outings against. So, is there hope for uh, a stronger second half for Gallardo? I mean, any chance that he basically earns his preseason value and, and becomes, again, one of the better starting pitchers in baseball? Or is he just in for a down year all season? Well, I mean, he seems to have this deal, like, every year uh, where he just has a down period. So, I mean, if you, ju- if you ascribe to that sort of type of analysis, then I do, ha- I do think he has a chance, but um, I think that something's a little different this year. I, I don't like, I don't like what I see. The swing strike rates really far down um, and he's changed his pitching mix. And he's using his two seamer a lot more than his four seamer. And, um, you know, the two seamer is good for ground balls, and his ground ball rate is up. But he's never, you know, the number one reason to have ground balls is to not give up home runs, and he still gives up home runs. So uh, I don't know why that is, um, and I, maybe it's it's you know it's possible his two seamer isn't that good. Um, you know, not everybody's two seamer is great, um, and. Um, you know, and the trade-off is not good for fancy owners because he's striking out, you know, almost a batter per inning, uh, batter per nine less this year. So the end result is a guy who has doesn't have the same upside as he used to, which was kind of like a fancy number two because of his strikeout rate. You know, just a borderline guy, almost a number one, but he always gave up a few too many home runs or walks or both. So um, you know, with an upside of a number two and. The downside of what he's done so far, I, I, I'm not that interested in, in buying him low. I think the elephant in the room is actually his velocity. I mean, if you look at his velocity from 2011, he was at 92.7. That was his peak fastball velocity throughout his career. Last year, it dipped to 91.8. This year, it's down to 90.6. That's not good. And and that probably goes a long way to explaining the down-swinging strike rate, the down uh, strikeout percentage, and, and that strikeout percentage has actually dropped every single year since his first full season in the majors in 2009. Uh, it's gone from nearly 26% to 25 to 24 to slightly lower last year, and then down to 19% this year. 
So, I mean, this is a declining pitcher with velocity loss. And he, and he shouldn't be because he's not old. I mean, the guy is only 27 years old. So you wouldn't expect such a, a trend in velocity decline to be going on. So you, you just wonder what's going on in that arm of his. Well, I mean, you know, pitchers do uh, lose velocity from the minute they're in the majors. So, they're, you know, it's, uh, it's not incredible or anything. And you know what? Yeah, go on. Sorry. No, I just, you know, I'm just pointing that out. Yeah, and it seems like a trend. We've talked about Dan Harron, and I know we had some other names that I can't think of right now whose velocity has been down and their home run per fly ball ratio seem to be up. I really wonder, because anecdotally it seems this way, it's not necessarily uh, an exact correlation where lower velocity leads to high, uh, higher home run per fly ball. I don't think anybody's found that, but maybe a decline in velocity will lead to an increase in home run per fly ball because they were successful given that velocity level, but when their stuff deteriorates, maybe they're easier to hit and take over the wall. I I wonder if anybody has ever looked at that because, I mean, we see here with Gallardo, his velocity has declined and his home run per fly ball is up, same as Harron, same as some other guys I think that we've talked about in the past. Yeah, I mean, there there has been um, actually a little bit of research on our community blog. Um, it's a, a piece called uh, "Location or Velocity: What's More Important for a Fastball," and um, the it's a really great piece, so I, I would recommend it. Um, and in that piece, it, it found that the home run rate on a fastball is largely unchanged between um, I think it's about 88 and 93 miles an hour. So uh, to to have a fastball in that range is to basically have a major league fastball, um, and you know, this doesn't answer your question because this is just all pitchers and all fastballs. Right, right. Quite, you know, what happens to one pitcher when his his um, velocity goes down? So uh, you know, on some level, you know, it's not it, it cannot be a big deal, is what I'm saying. I think that there are some pitchers that that survive a velocity loss and uh, they do it by, you know, using other pitches more or uh, changing up their order within the, you know, changing up their sequencing. Basically Uh, there, there are ways that pitchers survive this sort of loss and, you know, 90 mile an hour fastballs is still, is still a major league fastball. And basically the the finding was that basically 87, 88, that's where you got to get really worried is when you have a, a pitcher with a, 87 mile an hour fastball. That's a, that's a bit of an issue. So, um, you know, I think he could survive with the way he is. I think he would benefit from getting out of out of Miller Park um, <clears throat> because he's he's had these high home run for fly ball rates. So, you know, if you're a yoga owner, you're really rooting for a trade to say San Francisco, uh, who needs starting pitching. I'm not sure that they're gonna pony up what it takes to get uh, Gallardo, but he is probably the best pitcher uh, that's readily available this trade deadline in real life. Yeah, of course, then he goes to San Francisco, and then the Giovanni owners are going to complain about lack of run support and no wins. So you you (laughs) just can't win. Can't chase wins. Speaking of wins, (laughs) my next question. Segway alert. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I didn't even make that – Purposely, it just it just came out, Organic. and it, it worked so well. Uh, true or false? 
The wins category is the worst in fantasy leagues and the primary source of frustration and stress in us fantasy nerds' lives. Oh, well, come on, saves? <laughs> really, saves? That's not that frustrating. Well, for some people, it's very frustrating. I mean, I, 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 always, I always, you know, go cheap on saves and end up with a couple setup guys that end up being closers by the end of the year anyway. So I, I don't stress too much about it, but I do. I think people hate saves. So um, saves is a close price. second place. Yeah. I'll give you that but, one. Yeah, wins. I actually, you know, what's funny is I just totally ignore it. Um, and 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 every once in a while, I'll just have a team where it totally bites me in the butt. Uh, and I and I and I often am a little bit low because I you know the kind of pitchers that I like are often undervalued and undervalued because they're on bad teams. Yeah, me too. And it's so you you find you find that little gem on the Pirates and you're so proud of yourself. Oh, I have Liriano three times. Yay me! And then you realize that Liriano's you know having trouble winning games. Well, actually, the Pirates this year are a little better, but you know that's that's I just mean. That's a, an example. I mean, Jose Fernandez, I love the guy, um, and I own him a bunch, but he's not helping me in the wins category. Yeah, and, and this is something that I complain about literally, literally every year. It's like clockwork. And I'd love to go and research my standings in past years to see if it's actually happened, but it feels like my own teams have the worst win luck consistently. You would think that it evens out, but it seems like my luck hasn't. And so... <laughs> I always complain about this, but I just, I just wonder if it's actually true. But, I mean, here's one guy I've been complaining about on Twitter, and, and I own him, like, many years. James Shields is 17th in baseball in ERA with a 272 mark, but only two wins. And you say, oh, well, you know, the Royals have a bad offense, and you probably couldn't have expected them, even in the preseason, to have a great offense, although they've probably been worse than projected, but they still weren't projected to have a very good offense. So, Mike, that's your fault. You, you know, you drafted a guy who wasn't expected to get a lot of wins because of the offense. Fine, that's all fine and dandy. But check out Jeremy Guthrie, whose ERA is a full run higher, and he has seven wins. Explain that one to me. <laughs> that's on the same team. Yeah, come on now, and check out Jason Hamill, who has the ninth worst ERA in baseball with a four twenty, uh, a five twenty four mark, and he has seven wins as well. That's not fair. He's giving up three more runs per nine innings than James Shields, and yet he's won five more games. Yeah, and you, you really can't, uh, you can't chase it by by being like, oh, you know, I'll pick a guy on a good team or a bad team. You know, I'll pick. Uh, you know, I, I like diversity. You could say, hey, okay, you know, what you need is more diversity with respect to the teams they're on, but. You know, Cliff some Asians Lee. on your team, some uh, Latinos, that kind of diversity. Oh, I mean, like, uh, well, we talked. A bit of action. We talked in the past about having diversity of age, where you might have some old guys and some young guys. Um, but uh, you know, even from year to year, these things are. I mean, Cliff Lee last year was the whipping boy, uh, where he had great stats but no wins. Cliff Lee is second in baseball with nine wins this year. And now Cole Hamels is like two and nine or something, or like one, right. something ridiculous. And, like, and what you said about Guthrie and Shields, it's like on the same team. Yeah. They, they they go out and play all these games, but they don't play the same game for each guy. Um, you know, because the Royals will bang out ten hits for Guthrie for some random reason. It also has a lot to do with how they just randomly match up against other pitchers. But yeah, I'm looking at the the wins leaderboard right now. Chris Tillman is. Uh, 
tied for third in wins, and he's got a 3.71 ERA. And he's uh, he's tied with Shelby Miller, who has a two ERA. So, <laughs> and the Cardinals have a really good offense, actually. Right, right. So, you know, I mean, you you do see some, uh, you do see the better teams with better with more guys at the top. With you know, Max Scherzer and uh, and Justin Verlander are both in the top here. Um, the Cardinals have uh, Shelby Miller and Lance Lynn. Um, on the top of the leaderboard. So there are there are some, you know, but going into the season, you know, did you think, how good did you think, you know, Oakland was going to be? Or uh, how good did you think, I don't know, Boston was going to be? Boston, did you think they were going to be bad and you, and you didn't want any Boston pitchers because they wouldn't have any wins? Well, then Clay Buckles has nine and the team has been pretty good. So, um, you know, it's just something I ignore pretty much. Yeah, well, the it's hard to ignore when you're losing points in your league just because your pitcher is pitching well but not getting wins. So every year I, I try to figure out, is there a better category to use than wins? And, and, of course, everybody always suggests, oh, quality starts. I've done my research in quality starts, and it's an awful metric to use as well because basically you're now double-counting earned runs, and that's already part of ERA. Plus, it's basically a proxy for innings. So once again, you're going to just go streaming your two-start pitchers. It's really not hard to give up three runs in six innings. You don't have to be a good pitcher to do that. Um, so I don't think that's really any better of a measure than wins is. Even though there might be slightly less luck, there's still a lot of um, things that you can get around it to really increase that total. So I, I just think it's a stupid category to use. So I haven't been able to come up with anything better to use than wins. I mean, you could use innings. Yeah, but then again, that's also that's just stacking two-star starters, and there's really no skill there. So well, I mean, it's a you... good alternative. Well, innings, it's just a balance between relievers and starters, right? So if you if you think the balance is off in terms of counting stats, you just have to look at your number of categories and say how many do starters win and how many do relievers win because, you know, um, and, and then if you need another starter stat, then you put innings in because true. Uh, because if you do do two starts and you two starters and you do try to rack up the innings and you are uh, affecting your uh, ERA and WHIP adversely, so you could you you can make those decisions. You just have to kind of look at the the way you're setting up your league and 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 balance it so yeah. that you know because people complain they're like oh streamers. I'm like you know what streamers are making a decision and they're not the decision isn't always uh, the best decision and it really depends on the leagues. And if you think that the leagues if you think that you don't like uh, streaming, then there's so many different things that are available to you. For um, you know, you could put uh, strikeouts per nine in. You could just put one more category in strikeouts per nine. All of a sudden, uh, streaming sucks. Yeah, and at least innings, there's a lot less luck involved in that. And typically, the better pitchers are going to pitch more innings. And I mean, it would be weird to change up a league, a five by five league, and switch wins to innings. But actually, that might be a better alternative than quality starts and. Might be worth looking into a little more seriously. Well, I mean, you could you could try to do a, a two prong thing where you change strikeouts to strikeouts per nine, and then wins to innings because then you balanced yourself out. Because yes, you're right, having strikeouts and innings is very uh, starter friendly. But if you make it strikeouts per nine and innings, 
then you might have a better balance. So, I mean, it's all about it's all about balancing them out, I think. Ideas up the wazoo. What to do, what to do. <laughs> all right. Uh, so the Mets made a huge trade because it's <laughs> Young Jr. And, and get this. So during the season, their team leader in innings in center field has been Juan Lagares. Who the heck is Juan Lagares? I have no idea. No idea who this guy was before the year. In second was Rick Ankeel. So, I mean, if there was any team desperately in need of a center fielder, it was the Mets. But is Eric Young really the answer? Does he have – I mean, what kind of chance does he have of finishing the season as the Mets center fielder? Um, I, you know, finishing the season, I think it's better than being um, – being the guy next year and uh you know i guess you know the what the hard thing for me is just to figure out why you know i guess in 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 colorado they just didn't like his defense at second base and they had a center fielder so they didn't really have space for him um but it, it you know it's he's not that terrible so i don't know why he just hasn't been able to get more of a chance going there um and I'm sure somebody in, in Denver right now is yelling at the radio that he is terrible. But Yeah, I, I think one of the comments, I think it was Howard Bender. Yeah, Howard Bender had written an article, Eric Young Gets New Life in New York. And one of the commenters basically mentioned that I think he was a Rockies fan. And they're like, if, you know, if you've ever watched the Rockies game and seen Eric Young at second base, you would immediately know why he's never going to play second base in New York. So probably with the eye test. I mean, it doesn't look like the advanced metrics say that he's so bad. It looks like he's average at second. Uh, maybe there's a fan scouting report. Where's a fan scouting report? Uh, at second base, fan scouting report. Why does this not go by position? Uh, I don't know. But uh, here we go. Zeros. I don't know. It, it looks like the advanced metrics, he's basically average. So I, I really don't know what to make of it. Obviously, I'm not you know, a Rockies fan, so I don't watch him play. So I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's, it's worth noting that um... – his new team put him in center field. So they, they have a need at second base too. And they have uh Vallis Bean who, you know, was trying out center field and, and now trying back to second base, which was where he started. But in any case, they, they had a choice to put him at second and they put him in center. So, um, but you know, maybe his numbers in center aren't as bad and he's definitely a fast guy. And I think that's probably the number one thing you want out of your center fielder. Uh, maybe his roots aren't great. Maybe he can learn that. Maybe he can't. Um, you know, 270 innings in center field, I, I don't think is enough to say whether or not the numbers are, are correct on that. But uh, there's obviously an opportunity. Like you said, Lagares has got some things going for him, but um, he wasn't really counted on as a center fielder. It was more um, a corner outfielder with plus defense. Um, and, and, you know, the, one of the major weaknesses in the Mets system is actually a lack of a true center fielder. So uh, Kirk Neuenhuis is not really a center fielder. Matt Dendecker is a defense first center fielder who broke his wrist and is um, rehabbing. So, uh, you know, they, they do have a need now. And, you know, long term, they have a guy named Brandon Nimmo, probably not a center fielder. So there's, a, there's an outside chance he sort of resurrects his career and, and, and does something good here. But, um, you know, I, there's obviously a lot of problems. There's no power, um, and his walk rate bounces around. I mean, if he can, if he can 
show the double digit walk rate that he shows sometimes and show his speed and be a good defender in center field, there is actually uh, a role for him short and long term or short and medium term. Um, but those are a lot of ifs, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say about the walk rate also. He's got to get that walk rate up. And it's, it's funny because the Mets have been looking long and hard for a leadoff hitter and a center fielder. So they finally find a center fielder, and the guy is a 290 OBP or 289 OBP, and they immediately install him into the leadoff slot. Like, really? But I guess it just goes to show you who their options are because is there anybody better? I mean, I would say everybody would be better, but – not like a prototypical I'm, – I'm like I'm sure David Wright would be better fit as a leadoff hitter, but he's not exactly a prototypical leadoff hitter, and I don't think any manager would actually put David Wright in the leadoff slot instead of Eric Young. Yeah, you could do like David Murph, uh, Daniel Murphy, but um, Daniel Murphy is a contact hitter with a little bit of power and kind of prototypical uh, number two hitter actually um, in terms of old school um, lineup choices. So I, I don't really see – uh, there isn't. They don't. Yeah, they've been looking for a leadoff hitter. They don't. They don't really have it. Uh, and you know, very uh, young had um, much better on base percentages the last three years. So, you know, the average on base percentage for a leadoff hitter in the National League is really uh, is worse than you probably might think. It's about 320. Um, and uh, and Eric Young the last three years has beaten that. So, I mean, he's a guy that if you really need steals, you're desperate for steals. I'm actually desperate for steals. I'm last in steals in my own local league. you got to pick him up, right? Because the Mets' offense isn't very good, so Young should be able to run wild. And if he's leading off, I mean, a leadoff hitter on any team is going to have some value just given the run scored. So between the run scored and the steals, I mean, he could be kind of a, a poor man's Ben Revere or something. And that certainly has value even in 12-team mixed leagues, I would think. Yeah, I just wrote about this for getting blank today, but um, steals are down around baseball, and uh, it's not a huge amount, and it's not out of whack with, say, earlier in the decade, but it is out of whack for between the last three years. So basically, the the new 30 steal guy is a 25 steal guy. So if you if you're looking if you're looking for speed, you know, 20 and 25 steal guys are actually now like Leonis Martin may only end the season with 22, 23, 24 steals, but he's going to be a steals asset for some people. Um, and uh, in the same vein, I think Eric Young, I'm not sure he's a mixed leaguer, but um, he's, he's useful in more leagues than you might think. He actually reminds me of Gerard Dyson. I think it was last year when he got some extended playing time. And, I mean, basically he was a one-category, maybe one-and-a-half-category guy, the half being run scored. That's probably what Eric Young is. I mean, he's definitely going to contribute in steals if you're desperate enough, but he has no power. He's not going to get any REIs. So if you're good in those categories, which I am, I mean, he's a perfect fit for my own team, but I can't imagine many other teams are, then he definitely should have a little bit of value. And then obviously in deep leagues, he can contribute greatly just from his stolen bases. All right, let's move along to another struggling, uh, what we expected to be an upper echelon guy. And this morning I posted an article about Jared Weaver uh, titled Jared Weaver's Declining Skills. And let me quickly summarize exactly what those declining skills have been. Let's see, fastball velocity. And you had mentioned that when it gets into that 86, 87 mile an hour range, that's the danger zone. Well, that's where Jared Weaver is right now. 
Uh, K percentage, down. Walk percentage, up. First strike percentage, down. And zone percentage, down. Am I being too harsh here on Weaver, or are you as nervous about him as I am? Yeah, I mean, he's not... He's never been a... Uh, well, he has been. One, one year in his career, he was a fantasy ace, I think. And uh, some people might scoff at that but you know that was the there's only one year where he had an above average strikeout rate so um he's always he's always had that little asterisk where you're like wow he only strikes out seven guys per nine um and you know his swing strike rate is up but it's 34 innings i i wouldn't expect him to to do much more than he's done in the past it is a nice stadium though um so i i would say that i might be a little bit less worried than you because he's Still got that nice stadium. Still got that below average home run per fly ball rate, which that's a weird thing to say about someone. Usually that means regression is coming, but he's done it his whole career. So uh, that uh, there's there, I traded for him in a in a dynasty league. I mean, I didn't pay much, uh, but uh, I traded for him, and I just figured, oh God, eighty six and a half miles per hour on the on the on the fastball, huh? That's right. That's scary. Really that's really bad. That's that's below the line there. Oh boy. <laughs> now it's getting real. So, <laughs> given this new information, what Weaver is in that zone where you're like, wow. I mean, how can he continue to succeed? I, you know, sometimes lefties could. You have Ted Lilly, Barry Zito. I don't know if you would describe Barry Zito as succeeding. Jeff Francis, yeah, just got opted to the minors. But it's a lot more common, Mark Burley, it's a lot more common with lefties where they have a whole assortment of breaking stuff and they get by with a mid-80s fastball. But you never see this with a right-hander. His fastball is back up a little bit since he came off the DL. It was like uh, 85, 86 before he went on the DL. So there was obviously something wrong with him. Uh, Since he's come back from the DL, it's closer to... 88. Nope. He, there's still still some big error bars on it. I mean, uh, the last start, he actually pumped it up to 92 a couple of times. So, uh, I did not know he was capable of that. Yeah, I think uh, I think we'll have to wait. I'm going to wait a little bit before I, I call him done. All right, I, I want to do the Would You Rather game, but before that, there was actually uh, a comment that shocked me on Ben Deronio's article about Brandon Beachy. Commenter Dub says, I own Julio Tehran and was offered Jared Weaver for him. I cannot make my mind up. This bullpen stuff is why. So not only is there a non-zero threat that Julio Tehran ends up in the bullpen if Brandon Beachy is back, but he's being offered Jared Weaver, who in the preseason, this would be a laughably obvious trade, and he can't even figure it out. Uh, so... I mean, what side do you take? I mean, clearly, even with the concerns with Weaver, you got to go with Weaver, right? Yeah, I go with Weaver. Uh, I don't really know. Yeah, I go with Weaver. Oh, um, there's Tehran's just so weird to me because he has this tiny walk rate, but every time I've seen him pitch, I've thought that he didn't really know where the ball was going. <laughs> so I feel like he misses spots. If there is a guy that has uh, control but not command, it might be this guy. 
that's uh, probably the worst thing to have because then you're leaving balls out in the middle of the plate and they're getting hammered for home runs. So that's that's probably worse than having bad control. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's a uh, he's an interesting guy. But yeah, I mean, he's even though he's got an okay swing strike rate right now, um, or, or very good one actually, uh, he hasn't had a strikeout per inning since uh, high A ball. Um, so I, I think that. He's also a seven strikeout per nine kind of guy. Uh, doesn't have the nice uh, home park, and he doesn't have the uh, doesn't have the track record. So, all right, let's give you some more difficult choices between Jared Weaver or Chris Sale. No, Chris Sale. Okay, see, I wasn't sure exactly where you stood on Jared Weaver if he was still a top tier guy, or if you were as down on him as I am, and if you were. Then it, yeah, it would be an obvious Chris Sale, and I agree with with Chris Sale. How about Matt Latos? Not Matt Latos. Yep, agreed there. Here's another one because this is a guy that I think divides a lot of people, and that's Jordan Zimmerman, who's actually pitching tonight. Yeah, that's a better line because uh, Jordan Zimmerman is not it doesn't have the strikeout rate so you're basically uh looking at two guys that don't have strikeout rates but have at least for the last three years uh had nice eras and whips um you know and and zimmerman's before this year he did it without a ground nice ground ball rate so um which one am i betting on well i guess i'll i i, I guess i would bet on the younger healthier uh, one with a 93-mile-an-hour fastball, which is Zimmerman. But I do think the line is closer, especially since uh, Weaver has had much better uh, strikeout rate years than Zimmerman ever has. Well, I've always been a lot less optimistic about Zimmerman than most others. And so even though Weaver scares the crap out of me, I think I would still take Weaver by a nose or maybe two noses over Zimmerman. Two ends. Two yes, exactly. Uh, here's another one that might be difficult or might be easy. Hisashi Iwakuma. I guess this is difficult then. Well, you know, you what, was it you that yeah you pointed out to me that um, he's had that he didn't quite have uh, nice innings totals in 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 Japan. Yeah, he's basically been at 200 in previous years, and remember this guy is. In his, uh, what is he, like 32, 33 already? So this is no young spring chicken. Yeah. If in, in redraft, though, I would I would write out... Uh, Iwakuma? Yeah. I just, you know, it's a nice... He also has a nice park. He's got more strikeouts, better swing strike rate. He's dealing. He's got a good ground ball raise. He seems healthy. I, I yeah. I, I, I think... See, I didn't even make my decisions before asking you... And uh, I, I think just eyeing Jared Weaver's first strike and zone percentage trends, I think I would also go with Iwakuma because his skills have been actually really good. So even if he doesn't throw as many innings as Weaver, I think his ratios will be better and his strikeout rate will be better. So I'm going to go with Iwakuma as well. Here's another one, and uh, he's a guy that I know you love a lot more so than I do, and that's Mike Miner. Is that an easy one for you? Are you going to go with Miner here or not? Uh, yeah, I, I would go with Mike Minor. I, I'm I'm starting to get ageist a little bit. Oh, uh, 
in terms of uh, baseball players and especially pitchers. So always oh, going going the younger guy. Yeah, I like the younger guy. Um, he's just got a really nice swing strike rate right now. He's got great control. Seems to have more strikeout upside than Weaver. Um, I know he's got the crazy Babbitt going right now, but all of his uh, secondary um, ERA estimators are, are way better than Weaver's. And uh, he even even in the three year uh, even looking at a three year thing, his strikeout rate's better. So. You know, it's, it's it's easier to pick the guy with more strikeouts. Yeah, and and Miner's uh, skill set is actually not too different than Weaver. Both are extreme fly ball pitchers uh, with good control, but Miner's got the better strikeout rate, and you could expect it to be uh, to be better, you know, moving forward. Plus, he pitches for the in the National League versus Weaver. Yeah, yeah, which can't be. I mean, that's an extra half a strikeout or so. So. So, yeah, I mean, as down as I have been on minor, I think I would go with him as well. So it doesn't seem like we're a very optimistic bunch in Jared Weaver. Well, we might take him over Jordan Zimmerman, Well, probably also get some people angry. Yeah, it, it will. I, Jordan Zimmerman has really divided people just because he's really outperformed his skills and his strikeout rate just isn't very good. All right, how about another guy? And this is a third of the trio of disappointing pitchers, and that's Zach Granke, who... He's actually started nine games, and his ERA is 422. His strikeout rate is way down. His velocity is down. His, his swinging strike rate is actually up. But first strike percentage is down. A lot of warning signs here. So it's another guy who's not old. I mean, he's, he's 29. Yes, velocity is expected to decline, but I don't think at the rapid pace that it has for somebody like Granke. Yeah, I was talking about this on Twitter today. Um... And so I, I actually ran him through uh, Zimmerman's injury predictor uh, because his zone percentage is, is at a career low right now, and that's one of the things that um, Zimmerman points out as part of his, his uh, injury predictor. Um, but he doesn't, have, he doesn't have the rest of the package that you need um, to get really worried, which is to say that he keeps his uh, arm slot consistent late in the game, and uh, he's actually, his velocity has been trending up the last couple of starts. Um, so, you know what, I, I think this is mostly, uh, a lot of, a lot of his numbers have been obscured by the collarbone injury. Um, and I think that's, I think that's the main injury. And I think he's just now starting to get healthy, uh, which is weird to say maybe after he got shellacked. But, um, uh, I think that looking at his velocity coming up a little bit in the, in recent games, um, and uh, and the fact that you just have to you know that his he came back so quickly from his collarbone, uh, it's hard to say that that didn't have any effect on his pitching ability. Yeah, his velocity has definitely been better. Uh, well, in his last start, his velocity was up slightly, but it's still down from previous years. And and on the season as a whole, he's not even averaging 91, and he was above 92 last year. So, I mean, he's got a long way to go. His last start, he averaged 91.1. So that's better than his season-long velocity, but still well below where he was last year. So, I mean, is he a guy? Because a couple of weeks ago, I actually had a somewhat buy-low offer in for him. Then when I looked at him more deeply and I saw the velocity decline, I'm like, you know what? I can't risk this. I, I hate trading for pitching to begin with. And if I'm going to trade for a guy who I expect to be a top-tier starter then I'm not trading for one with such a big velocity decline. So, I mean, would you go out and trade for him? 
Um, in a redraft. So you would. You would try to make a buy low off of them. Yeah, for this year. I love his home park. I love his division. Um, and I think that he's getting healthier. I think he's the more the more time he puts between himself and the collarbone injury, the better. So I think there's a, you know, and also by the time you're trading for pitching, you're looking for a Hail Mary pass in one way or another. I mean, otherwise you'd be on your wire uh, looking for incremental upgrades. And in order to actually get a pitcher um, low, you, there has to be real questions. You can't just get a guy who's got a low BABIP and everything else looks great. I mean, it's hard to get those guys, So, especially with the amount of information out there. So, you know, the questions he's got, they're, they're, they're questions that most pitchers have, I think, uh, on some level. Is he injured or not? And the upside, I think, is still uh, a strikeout per inning, uh, low ERA, low whip. Uh, and some wins, you know, as the as the Dodgers get it together. Yeah, well, he's certainly a guy whose perceived value is definitely lower than what his upside is. So, I mean, if there was any potential top starting pitcher that you can buy low, I think Granke is the top of the list of a guy that you could secure. Now, whether he's going to be somebody who does rebound, I don't know. But if you think he will, then I think you would be able to buy him low unless – you have another owner listening to our podcast and feels the same way as you. Well, a nine and a half percent swing strike rate is still pretty good. It so is. Agreed. He's not. He's not terribly off. It is. It is interesting to see. I. It, the whole cutter versus slider thing is very hard to uh, parse when you're looking at uh, pitching mix. Um, you know, but his cutter goes 87, 88, 89, and his slider was down at 82, 83. So there's a possibility he is actually choosing a cutter over a slider. Um, and given my research in the past about sliders, you know, that could be something that's either he's doing it because it hurts or because the slider was ineffective. But the sliders basically was his best pitch um, in previous incarnations of his career. So, um, you know, something's hurting. And I, I'm just saying that I think it's the collarbone. Well, that's not good. And that's probably... Not a reason to trade for him. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, just kidding about everything I said. Collarbone is hurting. I ain't trading for him. Well, I mean, I I've been saying that from the beginning that I think his collarbone is hurting. I just think that He'll that's be getting better. That's a yeah, and that's a good thing. I mean, I, I think the collarbone is not his elbow, um, and he supposedly underwent treatment for it. You know, it's it's just I'm not a doctor, so I I'm I'm guessing I'm playing the guessing game, but. You know, it's a pretty easy one to point out. Yeah, it, it would provide an explanation. It's just a question of, is that the explanation? And when Which does he feel better? better? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right. Um, so a month ago, to this day, I wrote an article titled, Why I'm Not Buying B.J. Upton. And naturally, when everybody throws up their arms and gives up, the player goes on a tear. And sure enough, in June... B.J. Upton is hitting 255. Now, obviously, that doesn't blow you away, but that's B.J. Upton for you. I mean, 255 is what you expected preseason, meaning he's back to B.J. Upton. His strikeout rate is just 18.5%, which is uh, an improvement in previous years and a vast improvement on his first two months. And his walk rate is over 15%, and his isolated slugging is up to 273 in the month. So, is B.J. Upton back? Yeah, I'd like to see some month-by-month uh, -month swing uh, swing percentage splits. Um, 
because, he, you know, he's just such a whiffer now. And uh, if he's going to strike out more than 25% of the time, which he's done most of his career, you know, I can't bank on him hitting more than 240 the rest of the way. Well, hey, that's an improvement from one from 170, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think he's still. I still think he's the kind of guy that you're lucky you can go after if you're tanking uh, batting average. Right. I, we know we've established that you don't like low batting average guys, but right. if your team is the kind that can absorb a low batting average, do you think that the BJ Upton we expected in the preseason has? reappeared and will show himself basically for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, the only the other thing to worry about are, is uh, his ground ball, fly ball mix. Uh, he's he's uh, probably more ground ball heavy than he's ever been in his career. Uh, almost, 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 uh, he's not quite back to where he was when he was a devil ray. <laughs> but um yeah his his ground ball fly ball went in the sort of the wrong direction so uh i'm calling it splits right now to see if his monthly splits have gotten any better in that regard uh in june his uh line drive rate is way up it's above 20 percent uh his pop-up rate way down below 10 percent uh fly ball rate down to 30 percent but that's because he's hitting uh line drives instead so i mean personally i think he's completely back he's also up to fifth in the batting order and that was part of the reason why I said I was not buying B.J. Upton is because he was batting eighth. I thought he might not get any higher than seventh given the other options the Braves have. But uh, Freddy Gonzalez obviously is riding his uh, mini hot streak here and moved him up to fifth. And if B.J. Upton is indeed back, he can remain there the rest of the season. And so I am somewhat hesitatingly saying it, but I think that the B.J. Upton we all expect in the preseason – is back, and, and you're going to get a 250-260 guy with a really nice power-speed combination and good RBI production behind a, a good meat of the order in Atlanta. So I think he's back. Um, removing the why I'm not buying B.J. Upton, and a new article might come out saying why I'm buying B.J. Upton. How do you like that? Ah, well, it will be a six-year low in stolen bases, most likely. Well, of course, because he's never on base. <laughs> right, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, also, maybe batting order has a little bit to do with that. The nice thing is, though, that the Braves need him in center field. So, um, you know, they'll they'll keep running him out there, and uh, that's that's good for fantasy owners because it lets him get out of the slump. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and here's another hitter who's actually trending in the opposite direction of B.J. Upton. Uh, you're a big fan of him. You own him in Tout Wars, and I'm willing to buy him from you if you're willing to give him up. Anthony Rizzo. You want to trade him? Well, I just traded Patrick Corbin, but I would have given you Patrick Corbin for Oh, Luis Valbuena. Do you want Luis Valbuena for <laughs> I I don't see anything wrong with Anthony Rizzo. Okay. okay, Anthony Rizzo, so far in June, he has not hit a home run. He only hit two in May. He's batting 167 this month. Those are the surface stats. I just, I mean, just looking across at his line, I don't see anything wrong with him. I mean, yes, it's not great that he hasn't hit more homers, but, you know, his power uh, resume is impeccable. I mean, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty unassailable. So, I would hire him for my power team. What's that? I would hire him for Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and, and now that he's got a strikeout rate under 20%, I don't really see why he would have a problem hitting 270, 280 from here on out. And... 
you know, these power projections right now have him uh, heading into a 26, 27 homer season, 260 by the end of the season, 270 the rest of the way. Uh, you know, that's perfectly fine for me. That's I think that's even top half of most leagues. I think that's top half of anything other than like an eight-team league in terms of first baseman. And, um, you know, I think there's upside beyond that because Wrigley, really, Wrigley gets nice in August. There are going to be some – he's going to have a three-homer game. <laughs> Why stop there? Why not go for four? I own him in, a, in, a, in my home league. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll go for a four-homer game. Well, he's not quite Duffy Rhodes. Ah, right. So – I agree with everything you said, and although he's batting 167 this month, his strikeout rate is actually way down, and he's walked 15 times versus just eight strikeouts this month. He's got a 196 BABIP in June. So, yeah, the power not being there is obviously a concern, and it's uh, frustrating, but the batting average and the the slump is is all just a bunch of uh, small sample flukiness. And to me, everything looks good. His home run per fly ball on the season is only 13%. And given his park, given his minor league power, you got to assume that he's better than that. And if owners are, you know, somewhat panicking over this, uh, the poor last month and a half or so, I think he's a real good second half breakout candidate and a real good guy to go after. Yeah, I agree. All right, excellent. We're in agreement. <laughs> Well, we got we to gotta get some more disagreement in here. I know. We got to get the bull and the bear back, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> and like uh, some real meaty disagreement. Ooh, meaty. Bull and bear meat. Well, we'll, we'll, finish. <laughs> we'll have some hamburgers after we have our debate. And the loser of the debate will be the one who has to cook. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on the sleeper and the bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.